0: Oh, hey guys, welcome to the Afterlife. I'm here with a uh, long time a coming. I'm here with my good friend Tehran, and I do not know how to pronounce your last name. It's
1: Vaughn Gosry. Here's the thing, Bill Dawes. you actually have a very Mister Rogers esque voice. <laughs> I'd never noticed really? that until right now the way you, you came in. It was very like subtle and friendly.
0: Oh, it's like a thing. Well, oh wait. So you think like in person, I'm more. Oh wait. What does that mean? Do you mean you're like more rambunctious in your actions? Uh,
1: However, just listening to purely your voice. When I'm listening to yeah. your voice right now, as as I was listening and my eyes were closed, I was like, <laughs> who
0: is this guy? And I opened my eyes and it's Bill Dawes. I think that is a big part of who I am because I think the the person on stage, I mean, I am me on stage, but I'm you kind of like I'm kind of like a guy who just watches shit and listens a lot. You know what I mean?
1: This is the thing. I'll give you that. I'll give you the point where some people think you're standoffish, but don't realize you're just quiet.
0: Yeah. I've got... Trying, until it's until so funny drunk. you said that. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs>
1: and when you're drunk, it's like... <laughs> Wait, did well, you see me drunk? Shut the, yeah.
0: Oh, Lord, and, and Reno, when Reno, I got I've fucking seen, so got, drunk. We've known
1: each other for like nine years. I've seen you uh,
0: Yeah, nine years ago, I was getting drunk a lot. Yeah. But uh, I don't really do that. But yeah, my whole life, Tron, it's funny you said that, I was all... People were like... He's conceited. He's arrogant. He Like in high school. And I was just fucking super shy, man. I was a really awkward, ugly, poor kid. So I just couldn't speak. And I, I never never thought that but people were like oh he's standing out like, eh, no tc
1: williams you went to remember the titans man
0: <laughs> remember the titans that was yeah. my high school man me and donnell rollins
1: yeah how crazy is that did you guys go
0: that's past? right because you're from there i keep forgetting I'm from
1: that. the area exactly i'm from dc and then i went to school in fairfax county so it's where do you go to school again? i school? went to high school in chantilly high school chantilly
0: holy shit Yeah,
1: i went to high school in chantilly i went to college at Mason Uh for my undergrad and my master's and then went to Georgetown Law. So I'm a very much D.C., D.C. metropolitan kid. Yeah, yeah. Born and raised.
0: So what do you think of that area? I mean, do you think it's, uh, it's changed a lot now, right?
1: It's changed when you're speaking about it as far as how advanced it looks now. I go places and I literally am in awe and shocked by how... Much construction has been done. Yeah. And especially I'm going there in in gaps. So it's kind of like when you're working out every day and someone sees you, they see the slow transformation. But if you don't see someone in a year and then all of a sudden they're cut, they're like, whoa. Whoa. What the fuck? That's what uh the DC metropolitan area feels like to me right now. But I loved it. I loved growing up there, multicultural, uh educated. So many people, like when you have conversations with people from the D.C. metropolitan area, we are actually very educated, even in the public school system.
0: Uh, for sure. Yeah. You can't, you can't help it. The best
1: public school systems in the country. And the reason that is is because specifically senators and judges mm-hmm. and all these kids go to these schools so they make sure that the top five are yes. all around there. When you go to Loudoun – Prince William, uh, uh, Fairfax County, Montgomery County—they're all the best school systems, yeah—and also some of the wealthiest neighborhoods in now, America.
0: Now, you didn't have parents working in the government, did you? No, 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 no. Yeah, because my dad was like a bureaucrat, like a Navy bureaucrat, so that's why I was there because he was in Crystal City, yeah, which is you know part of the deal. But uh, Chantilly, w- was that school? What was like the makeup of that school? I didn't know much about Chantilly High. So
1: Chantilly High School was one of those. When I say very mixed, very mixed considering Fairfax County.
0: Because Fairfax is very white. It's very... It's it's like it the was. third wealthiest county in the country. It was it, at one point.
1: It is still. They are... Once again, now it's shifted to Loudoun County, uh-huh. which is... The, like all the wealthier people just moved a little farther to get a little more land, and now that's come up, and now it's too expensive. But uh, it was very mixed as far as middle class goes. So... Sure, there was a handful of black kids, handful of Latino kids, but more so than you would expect at a school like this. And now it's a lot more mixed because sure. you get a lot of middle class Indian, Persian, Arab, black, Latino, Asian, yeah, and white. So everyone mixes.
0: Yeah. When I was when I was growing up in like middle school GW and, and T C there's a lot of cause, you know, a lot of people came from the seventies after Vietnam War, so we had a lot of it's an awfully horribly racist phrase but we grew up calling them boat people all the boat people that were in our, and so it was like and they would stay themselves and the black kids would stay themselves and then you'd have these like middle class lower to middle class white kids and then you'd have like total like white trash too so it was a, it was definitely like uh it was cool because then when I went to college I was like oh shit, this isn't how every place is in the world
1: well especially when you went to TC T.C.'s coming off of a lot of racial tension yeah it was it TC was a specific victim, if you will, of gentrification, where you had these boundaries that all met specifically going to TC Mm Williams, whether it's racial divide or socioeconomic divide, everyone going to the same school. So you had some kid whose father was, you know, a Supreme Court justice and the same school where there was a person who you know, came straight off the welfare line Yeah, going to the same school. And not necessarily was one white or black. Clarence Thomas' kid could have went there and then some white trash kid. And they would have just clashed. It was a clash.
0: Now, it's interesting because I've always had this belief growing up when I I would go to – there's St. Stephen's, which is a very – an Episcopal high school, which are right by T.C. Williams. Very prestigious private schools. And every once in a while, kids would go from St. Stephen's or Episcopal and go to T.C. Because almost like as punishment, like you fucked up. You no. messed
1: up at the private school. Paul the Sixth did the same thing.
0: Yeah. And what would happen is a lot of times you'd have like black kids from private schools show up with their polo shirts and their duckhead pants and and they would show up and right away they had to make a choice. Where It's almost like, it sounds awful, but kind of like prisons. Like you have to- You have to choose a gang. You have to choose a gang. You do. And I would see these kids come from uh, St. Stephen's, I would know them, and- They'd come in eighth grade, yuppie yuppie, preppy preppy, and by senior year they had the striped eyebrows, the gold teeth, (laughs) They they were ganging it out. And I don't know, like, what especially do you think? Especially in TC. Especially at TC. What is that about? Like, because you're obviously, you're you're mixed, but you probably identify mostly as, as black growing up. Do people identify you as black? Or? A
1: lot of people identify me as black, and it's obviously a part of the makeup of my comedy is talking about things. When I was growing up, being mixed wasn't as common as it is now. No, obviously, of course not. Obviously, we look around and everybody's, everybody's mixed. Yeah. Everybody's mixed from Drake all the way down to Zoe Kravitz. Everyone's mixed. Yeah. However, when I was growing up and especially when you were growing up, being mixed was very uncommon. People yeah. did not mix. I I know that you talk about jokes and in your private life we talk about how you would date black girls and people My first would girlfriend. be very yeah. upset at you. Yeah. including your own family and My so family and, and black people too. Yeah, yeah. And black people. It's not a lot of people think racism is just one direction. It is not. It goes both ways. The only difference is, is when it comes to black people being racist against white people, it just isn't as effectual on a grand scheme of things because of the power dynamic.
0: Yeah, it also makes a lot more sense. When black people are racist, white people are like I get it. You get you understand it, but I'll <laughs> tell you
1: something: racism actually never makes sense. You yeah. actually have way more in common with someone else that likes Marvel comics than you do. Yeah, and the other per- and against someone who likes DC over Marvel and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. You have way more, which is something I'm seeing much more in this new generation coming up. Is the these kids don't care about your race as much as they care about your specific likes. you, you don't like Logan Paul, you know. Oh, wow. Really? I'll fight you. Yeah. So it's interesting to watch that dynamic happen. However, at the time growing up, being mixed, people would obviously just automatically think you're all black, which you're looking at it like, uh, well, I'm half Persian in my case. Or President Obama is the first black president. He's the first mixed race president. He's half black. He's half white. We love to put people in
0: boxes. We love to. It makes things so much easier. So when you were in high school, did you have to make a decision? Was there? I can't imagine there was a Persian crowd in, at Shintari High. There actually
1: was a small Persian crowd. Oh, really? And here's the thing. I was the kid who never made, quote unquote, the decision. Yeah. The only decision I made was to be very proud of being black and very proud of being Persian. And with that pride, I never once say, I'm better than you. It's And that's the problem about pride and being proud. I'm simply proud of my heritage where I'm proud of being black. I'm proud of being Persian, but I also respect every other culture and ideology within reason. I always respect like I can be good and you can be good. I can be great and you can be great.
0: That's what makes this world so much fun. I think that's one of the things that I think about you. I think that maybe defines you is you kind of have I guess it's sort of like master of all trades. You kind of have your 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 toes in a lot of different pools, right? So you're the guy who is doing the comedy club and run the comedy club, which is a very kind of sequestered world, if you think about it. It's a very small world. And then every once in a blue moon, I'll go to like an actual cool nightclub in LA. I don't, and I, you're there. You're I'm, fucking I'm there. there. And you just walk in with your the, fucking robe. With the bathroom. Oh, and I'm yeah. like, how the fuck did you? Because I know you were you were a big promoter in DC as well. How were you able to make the transition from being that popular is it just maybe just your magic touch or just from DC to have that kind of pull it's into actually LA? It's
1: interesting. It's an interesting characteristic that people place little understanding in is the ability to understand social conditions. And I think that because I think that specifically because of of just being mixed in the Atmosphere and environment that I grew up in I'm able to mix with everyone Mm-hmm is it recording well?
0: Yeah, it's recording. It, it, there was a little sound bump. Oh, it yeah. fine,
1: yeah. It's probably me, I just <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's sure one of those one. things where I, being mixed, I feel like I was. I learned the skill of how to fit in with everybody. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I do is I just simply network. And I believe that social inventory is worth more than uh, any product in the world. It's, it's simply, and it's not just who you know, it's who you know, what you know, and then who you know again.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: And I keep that, I, I love being the plug. And I make that happen. I make things happen.
0: Yeah. So when you came to um, from the D.C. area to L.A., you weren't a comic yet, right?
1: I was not a comedian. Actually, my first foray into comedy was specifically at the Laugh Factory. Yeah. I, I was going through law school and I had... Basically, uh, a crisis, a life crisis. Things were like, what collapsing. The fuck am I doing? What happened? What was the moment? Uh, it was actually specifically, I had, I was getting in trouble because of the elements that I was hanging around. Plus, the, I wanted to be an executive producer of music. I wanted to be Puff Daddy, not yeah, the guy that. who who pushed the buttons and knew, but just the make it happen guy
0: and Yeah, make this bring that beat in okay come in. You know, exactly. Come, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. come in,
1: find the person, make it hot, make it hype. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, I literally wanted to be that person. For sure, and I can see that. I had groups and they were doing well and they fell apart. You mean you had groups? I had groups, you I were had, managing I was managing groups, oh, especially because I was throwing these huge events in Washington D C area.
0: I was doing the trip back and forth to New York. I was doing a lot. And this is strictly like At this point, is this the 90s at this point, or is this 2000s? No, this is definitely 2000s going into the late 2000s. So it wasn't like necessarily gangster rap at this point. It was more like rap and pop fusion.
1: Actually, my whole thing was I realized the direction where music was going at the time, and I was making... That Drake music or having these artists make this Drake music before Drake. Yeah. Or actually at the time Drake was also growing too, but simultaneously. Like I knew that that was gonna be the direction. Yes. Even though once again this was one of those things where I was ridiculed for, and now it's exactly how it exactly goes. Going and on, sometimes yeah. I'll see people that I knew from back in the music days, and they'll be like, Man, you were a genius. Yeah. You knew it. these things before anyone else. I can't even imagine how you predicted it. But I had I saw this trend, this move from the urban to the suburban the mixing, the emo rap, I saw a lot mm-hmm. of that. And I was working on these things, uh, and unfortunately they fell apart because of the artists. And I was like, I need to be my own artist. And I actually watched Fuse Network at that time, it was part of the cable package, I don't even know why I was watching <laughs> Fuse. I saw a light-skinned black comedian with a great smile named Mikey Winfield, who both of us know. Yeah. And I saw him presenting music videos and doing comedy in between, and I literally thought, if this what guy can fun. do it, I can do it too. Which Which is why I believe representation of all people are is so important because this wasn't me as an eight-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old or even an 18-year-old. I was 22 at the time, yeah. and I was able to see someone who looked like me doing something that
0: I now thought I could do because I saw it happen. Yeah, it's a it's a smooth transition sort of from like music and promoting into comedy in that way. It you know can I mean? be. It's simply because a
1: lot of people don't realize when it comes to comedy, it's not just show, it's show business. Yeah.
0: And so at that
1: point, I had had the business part down. But I hadn't gotten the show part down. Okay. And so of all people, the person who spoke to me uh, and mentored me in that way was Maz. Maz Gibrani uh, yeah. actually was like, you have, you love getting on stage because I had hosted. They, when they came to D.C., Maz or Max or any of these guys came to D.C., I would host their events. You would host like, like comedy shows? Or I host would host them? the comedy show because... I would be able to fill up the auditorium so as as the promoter
0: I was also the host. So you'd probably just do like a few minutes of exactly. talking Exactly. Just talking. I wasn't yeah.
1: doing comedy comedy yet but I was just naturally naturally quote unquote funny which is an onset of being able to mix in and out of different crowds yeah. because when we were talking about which one did you choose I never chose in high school I simply uh, surrounded Kinda myself with everybody yeah. exactly. And so I I I would go on stage and I. Were you nervous first time you went on stage? In that you know, situation? it's funny. I was never nervous until I got good.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: I get because that. at that point, now when I go up on stage, people have an expectation. Mm-hmm. They think you're good. So if you're not great, yeah, you're below expectations and I've seen it I've seen we even someone like Dave Chappelle goes on stage in Detroit or wherever and quote-unquote bombs it's like <laughs> it, or that one year Tiffany Haddish had a bad set during New Year's she had gotten oh, a little Miami, yeah. inebriated and just had a bad set exactly and people just you know dismissed her right away and it's it's like this is when it counts when you're great people are expecting so much more and Tiffany's always funny. Yeah. So it was the crowd.
0: It wasn't really her. Yeah. It was just more so that. And also, you can have you can have a a bad night. I remember one time, this is kind of a, a Chappelle story. And I, I, how much time do you have with? I know you're 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 you always like to cut things super fucking close. Yeah, that's
1: what I do. <laughs> no, thing. I'm good. I'm good. We you're have good at, We um, have twenty.
0: I, I remember Dave when Dave Chappelle first started coming back after Africa. And he first started getting on stage. I don't know if you remember that. You were here then, right? Um, it was a while Dave ago. When first
1: came back, yes, I remember.
0: I think it was like 2000. I mean, I felt like it was like maybe eight or something like that. Anyway.
1: It was a, it was like 2009-ish when yeah. he was. Oh, Kevin Hart had. I feel like Kevin Hart's success kind of was Made like. Well, Dave fun. was like,
0: wait, whoa, what? I oh, need what to be back you? here too. So, um, And I was at the Den, which is a, a local haunt for a lot of comics. And Topher Grace was there. And I was always a fan of Topher Grace, He's a, and he was like super cool and charming, and someone texted me, Dave Chappelle just came in Laugh Factory. And I was like, I'm going to be so fucking cool, because I'm going to walk Topher Grace and his hot fucking girlfriend in the Laugh Factory. Hey guys, come with me, Dave Chappelle. Because he was already legendary status. I yeah. mean, once he went to Africa, he already became a legend, right? He was a legend. And still is. so we walked, we, we went to the Laugh Factory, and it was that weird period where Dave Chappelle was like, he he was on stage... Just, he was just on stage, man. Just talking. And not even talking. He would smoke a cigarette and drink, drink a, a drink beer. A, drink a Pepsi or yeah. a Coke and just smoke and look at people. And he would say things like, stand up comedy is stupid. It's dumb. And he would just look at people. He was, was just literally. getting
1: his bearings back. Yeah. It, it, or, it was, or not. Or that was his genius art performance. We don't exactly. know exactly.
0: It was crazy. He's brilliant. And then people would just start asking because there's so much silence. People just start asking questions. And someone's like, hey, what are you drinking? I'm drinking Coca-Cola. And just his voice is fucking funny and everyone would laugh. And I just remember watching Tover Grace with his girlfriend just kind of like getting really disappointed. I'm going, no, no, tell the joke, Dave. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, come on, Dave, show him how genius you are. And he just like and it's kind of amazing that he he had the, uh, I don't know what it was. Maybe he knew that he was how good he was and he just wanted to fuck with this new idea about what if I'm just on stage like basically like naked and vulnerable and just stood there and
1: I mean, that's how Dave is an artist. He's brilliant. He's my favorite comedian. I, I have always, a very always been your favorite. Always, he was the listen. This is what makes it even worse. Always from uh, DC too. Yeah, from DC. I've I've never wanted to be a comedian. And I was never a big fan of comedy. I never liked, you know, comics will talk about their favorite comedy movie and all these things. I don't really even have one. I'm not a fan. I get that. People might hate me. I'm not a Dumb and Dumber fan. I don't like stupid comedy. I I agree. When Chappelle performed at the Lincoln Theater, I I was like definitely not old enough to get in. I got in. I snuck in. Used my plug. And I watched this guy perform because I had seen him just grow in the D.C. area, and I was. But he wasn't on Chappelle awe. show yet. This he, it wasn't Chappelle yeah. show. This was this was the first, this was the first special when he yeah. taped it, and I I was just blown away. And this guy because he's brilliant, he's smart, and I have a very different Dave Chappelle story specifically that was at the Laugh Factory. And uh, it was my show, and Chappelle texted me and said, "Hey, I'm going to this. So by the other way, he texted you,
0: so he already you're already friends this with is, this. No, movie? I had already networked
1: when I got here yeah. with Chappelle. That was my Chappelle, first number. I'm one. We're gonna go in. Sarah yeah. Mello, hook me up Chappelle. Sa- Sarah Sarah Mello actually still worked at the Laugh Factory at this yeah. time, so it wasn't even through that. But yeah, that's the that's the whole thing. Uh, she's also someone I respect and who's hustled her way to the top. Yeah. Um, so basically, Dave texts me, going to this other club. Which shall remain nameless, uh, and come through. I left my show. I literally left my show. Went to this, and at this point, the comedians hadn't really seen any comedy. Uh, I went up and did five or seven. It was
0: it was decent. So Dave said, "Come and be on my show." No, 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 no just
1: come. But he put me up when I got there. Oh wow! So then. There were you two mentioned the club by the way uh, the There's two no comedians gag order. okay uh, because I'm a Laugh Factory die hard <laughs> I, know, I know I ride or die for the ride factory or die. you I understand I two shows it. a week Monday and Thursday nine forty five shameless plug so uh, at that point this was a young Jack Knight okay underage mm-hmm. Jack Knight underage Valentino they were I was like guys I'm just giving you a heads up the uh, Chappelle's going to be at the at the other club. Let's go. Cause Jack was like these they both were like, this is my favorite comedian, but Jack especially. Chappelle did the coolest thing, let them told the security to let them in, gave them each three minutes to see what they would do. And they went up, they went up, and they freaking killed. They killed. I'm not gonna lie. For yeah. three minutes for kids who had never really done comedy anymore. Jesus. Yeah, they got up, they went up, they did a thing, and I was like, wow, that's that's great, you know? Yeah. Like, um, here's my thing. So at the same time, fast forward to another time, Chappelle went to this club and hit me up and said, "Come!" and of course I went again. Yeah. And this time I went up and did a strong fifteen. Oh wow! Where I was a little more seasoned, and he was very—he was like, "Wow, that's." Oh, you know, he, he watched that's, you too. Yeah, he watches, and he was he complimentary. Watches. That's
0: fucking huge. Um, What's bigger than that?
1: After that, all these people came. Kevin Hart showed up, went up. Chris Rock went up. So the crowd's just going crazy. (laughs) Yeah, Cat Williams came up. And and this was when he was disappeared. Yeah, And then I'll never forget, Chris Tucker was there. It was just a crazy night. That's nuts. Then Chappelle went up and did like two hours, which was all two hours funny? No. But for 10 minutes of that two hours, he was funnier than all of the rest of us combined. Yeah. To be very honest. Yeah. There was times where he would say something that was so brilliant and so funny that everyone else in the room was just like, When will I ever be this good? And I've only felt that time that way a couple times. One time was specifically at my show with Whitney Cummings. Whitney killed so hard that I was like, how am I calling myself doing the same thing?
0: Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't hear those two in the same sentence usually, but yeah. Yeah.
1: But because I I don't think people understand how good Whitney is Mm -hmm. because it's a lot more subtle Mm -hmm. in ways. And so people just, and especially when it comes to females in comedy, people just have a whole different maze they put them through yeah. and, and and comedy's a maze. You know this, you know this. We go through this maze still, still, yeah. we dance for our food sure. still mm-hmm. still, we need the approval of bookers, and and we need the audience, you know, still,
0: yeah. now, one thing you talked about you touched on, you said you had like a, a crisis, like a moment of crisis. That made you. What was the What was the moment of crisis? I was, like like,
1: look, I was getting in trouble in DC. <laughs> you, my you my artist fell can't go, apart. You can't go <laughs> yeah, I'm not getting into <laughs> it. My artists were Did falling apart. Do,
0: were you ever? Because I I never, never see drank, drink. Never I've see never drugs. drank. Sm-
1: I've never smoked, I've never done any drugs ever in my life. Then what was the problem? Just, I was look it leaves I women. Was, that's all listen, that's left It wasn't Ron. women either. And I'm I'm actually if and you know this of me as well, I'm very careful about women as well. I, you're careful and about I've everything, always yeah. been I've always been a very careful calculated person since I was young. Yeah, so it's not any of those things. It was it had to do with promoting and with Certain monies that were placed and things of that nature. Yeah, where, where I was involved with okay, when it comes to the world of especially big promoting, let's be very real. As much as everyone likes Puff and Puff dances, there's a reason nobody messes with him. Yeah. He's a gangster. Sure. And I and I mean that with the utmost respect. There's a lot that goes on in in this side of the world. You're around the wrong elements. You have to deal with the wrong elements. When a lot of these gangster rappers, they're not gangsters, but they're managers, and their <laughs> their
0: backup really is.
1: Uh, so you just deal with a lot of things, in, in order to keep yeah. that machine going,
0: they just had what in Chicago? They just had the NBA was it All Star weekend. All Star, it was the All Star. So of a comic friend was writing jokes for Lil Wayne, yeah, and he showed up because he was supposed to be in the the roast or where the fuck it was the NBA roast, and she wrote jokes for the yeah, NBA roast, and he had his gun. Lil Wayne still needs a gun because his rap songs are too whatever. And uh, they're like, you, he, he goes, you can't have your gun. He's like, fuck you. I need my gun, man. I need my gun. So like, okay, we'll let you in with your gun. He goes, well, my aunt, and his entourage showed up like 15 people. They all had guns. Yeah. And they're like, we can't let, he goes, it's a, it's a roast. We're going to be making fun of you. We can't risk the fact that <laughs> someone's feelings get hurt and there's a shooting in the club. So he had, he ended up not. She brought all these jokes from there, not used. Because that is
1: that is a reality when it comes to a lot of these things, and that's why I had to leave that world. Really, specifically, and it's so funny you mentioned Little Wayne, but just a lot of these things, I had to leave that
0: world. So did you? I mean, come on, you got to give one story that was like scary. I have a lot of stories, man. Give me a I good. Just, give I just I can't I can't you ever can't, give story. Been I enough never, time. Listen, the LA. listen.
1: I I have been. Look, it is everything in those world allegedly (laughs) money laundering embezzlement I mean there's everything when you deal with labels a lot of it is just a lot of it is all the things that you never think would happen. Yeah. Music, music, show business is not a clean business, but music industry is the most gangster of all the industries. And you mean that just
0: rap or just music in general?
1: In general. I, I, would, I wouldn't, just because, and it's very interesting, everyone applauds the mafia and booze the Crips and Bloods. They're same the same. same. They're shit. the same. So they just wear suits. So a lot of these rock stars and things of that nature, they just wear, their managers just wear nicer clothes, but they are go through the same thing it's not like the studio 54 guy didn't go down big time yeah it's just because they're a little cleaner and they're a little wider things go a lot yeah. nicer their way but yeah.
0: they are gangsters now try you've always struck with someone who's a little bit too good for comedy and by that it means like your skill set so broad are there things that you think you could do differently with comedy in terms of like let's say music and comedy are there ways that they can be like Fused together in interesting ways aren't being done yet. Do you have idea? Do you have ideas like as a producer as the producer that you want to be that you think you could do with comedy and maybe music and other things that kind of I have some
1: ideas that I'm I'm actually hoping to explore soon There's a mesh, and Dave actually was one of the first people to bring music and comedy together there I've never understood how concerts do not have comedy hosts. They don't have comedians hosting these things. Yeah, I, I mean If I was Third Eye Blind, I'd be stupid not to have Bill Dawes hosting my show. (laughs) I'm very serious. Like, you just, I've never understood how they don't realize how similar they are. Even the way we, even comedy itself, we're writing the same way you would expect uh, Rihanna or singer or any singer, not Rihanna because she doesn't write her own songs, but any singer to go up there and sing or uh, we're writing the same way, rhythm, beats, All these things, except you would never expect a singer to sing a brand new song every time they go on stage. But because we as comedians do it and make it look so effortless, you expect us to do new things all the time. However, seasoned comedians and as I've grown, obviously, I've learned you repetition is key. Practice makes perfect. And so but the two have so much in common. It's very interesting to me that a lot of comedians look down on musical comedians. It's like that's yeah. a skill set. Yeah, I completely. I love it. If I could agree. play the guitar, bro, I might not even talk normal. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd hear me. T- like, or If hey, I could sing, huh? how could you? If you ever oh, could really sing, what the fuck would I sing on stage? Never, I would never not sing.
0: You yeah. would never catch me not singing. he would be like, "Hey, Tyron, how are you? Hey, Bill Doss,
1: <laughs> what's going on?" Man.
0: Now like, you must be a little bit musical because you were, if you're a producer,
1: I, can, I can am you rap? not. I am not. There was a time where I used to, but I've always found rap to be a little silly. I've always. Found music to be very interesting and powerful, but I've always like I I would never do it myself. However, I've always liked the the powers that be, whether it's in politics or in music or just in the world in general. I've always respected the powers that be, the people who trendset and taste make and make things happen. Yeah, I always have respect. Even people look down at the Kardashians all the time, and I'm like good for them they're doing something none of us would be willing would to do you would marry a, Kardashian in a heartbeat. heartbeat wouldn't even I, I, yo i might be like hey bill this is my new girlfriend
0: caitlin like i wouldn't but that's a good job
1: like this is i would definitely for those reasons but just learning from them as well learning yeah how how they've put things together amazing Good for them. I always respect greatness. I yeah. will always respect greatness. In fact, one of the fastest ways for me not to like you or respect you is very simple. Say something to me like, LeBron's not good. LeBron sucks. Yeah. Drake sucks. Yeah. Garth Brooks sucks. I've never li- really listened to Garth Brooks' music, but I know he's amazing. Yeah. You know, Say I don't like them. That's understandable. That's sure. a personal taste. But to say the word they suck, then you don't understand greatness. Yeah. There's no coincidence. It's n- There's no secret... To it, there's no oh. They pushed it on us. No, especially when it comes to sports, the ball either goes in or it doesn't. Yeah. So, I I I always commend people that work hard and do great things and make a living out of the skill set. Like even Bill, the one first thing, just watching you, you've made a true living. Knock on wood, out of comedy. You know how many people have not been able to do this. And now, are you the richest comedian? No. No, that's the 1% of the 1%, but you're in the 5%, and I don't think we realize that sometimes. Yeah, that's true. We're in the 5% who don't drive Uber <laughs> yeah. and make money and make rent yeah. off comedy. Yeah. It is not easy. Uh-uh. It is not easy to make money off your craft, whether it's art. And, and here's... the other thing there is no defining path to this career there isn't a this is how you start this Mm -hmm. is point a and this is point b and then this is point c you don't go oh i go to college then i go to med school then i take my boards and then I get a job exactly. and then I become this. There is no clear cut path. There is no 100% guaranteed way. This is the riskiest
0: of risks and that's part in part, life. Yeah, that's probably why I did the podcast because like people's stories about how they got into comedy is always like some people, the stories are like, well, I got raped. And then I became, you know, some people are like, oh, my dad died and I realized I should follow my, I mean, the stories are always like crisis of faith moments where people like have a turning point. And those—that's always fascinating. I got cancer, and now yeah. I got a special. Every once in a while, someone's like, "Yeah, I wanted to be a comic since I was fourteen, and that's all I ever." Well, did. there are and some I'm people like, who yeah.
1: honestly, co- comedy has been, comedy has saved a lot of people. But there's some people who have always wanted to be a comic. Yeah. You know, we were talking. I was talking to Paul Verzi and Monster Brani today about that, and they've both, or Eddie Murphy's Raw, changed their life. Yeah. And for me, that. Eddie Murphy moment was the Dave Chappelle, even though I didn't realize that that's who I uh, Mm -hmm. wanted to be, who I want to be. This is, and here's the thing a lot of people don't realize good comedy makes you laugh, but great comedy makes you think. For sure. And so, even your best jokes, Bill, are the ones that, if you think about them, sure, they're hilarious, they're funny, and they're stupid and silly, and people laugh, and they're ha ha ha. But if you actually listen to what Bill Doss just said, what he just said about race, was brilliant from the point of view of the quote-unquote other side. Yeah, What he just said about sexuality was actually brilliant, quote-unquote, from this perspective. A perspective you would never think would even have something to say about this. It's actually very smart. And so great comedy makes you think, and the people that make us think the most in the modern day are comedians. The philosophers, Mm -hmm. Jon Stewart, Trevor Noah, Stephen Colbert... Bill Maher, any of those guys, they're just stand-up comedians, man. For sure. They're literally just stand-up comedians. Yeah. And they're changing the way we consume politics. Yeah. We know more about the political world today than we ever have before.
0: That's true.
1: And a lot has to do with them. The rest has to do with President Trump, but that's different. But
0: the concept is. But it's true, because I feel like there was a time when in the 80s, 90s, oh, there's a political comic. But now every comic is kind of political. 100%. Like you sort of have to be political if you want to address any cultural issues that people can give a shit about because it's they're just conflated at this point. Now, uh, do you, I know you don't have a lot of time, but. How do you feel, because when you started comedy and where comedy is now, do you feel like it's changed a lot? How do you feel like you've changed as a comic? Do you feel it's because of the cultural norms or political norms? Do you feel like you have a different responsibility? I just asked 40 questions in one.
1: And I'll take all of them because they were all excellent questions. So, a lot of people are like, oh, this is the the death of comedy. No, I feel like it's the golden age of comedy. You see more voices and more platforms than ever. Yeah. And even though, sure, there's an oversaturation in comedy, there's an oversaturation in everything. Gloss is oversaturated. So we have just more people who are, who are doing more things. Now, are there people who I feel are just using comedy as that quick fix vehicle to get there? Sure. But in the end, you know, they'll go through the process and maybe either change or they will fall through. I've seen that happen as well. However, I'm, I'm listening to comics and I'm seeing more comedians who are talking about more subjects and topics than ever before so I really feel like we're coming into a second golden age of comedy as we speak a lot of people even you and I have seen which is amazing because to others it's like oh man why is not me and to me it's like I can aspire to be this watching Tiffany Haddish watching Chris Redd watching Chris D'Elia watching uh, Whitney Cummings watching People just grow. Ida Rodriguez just grow. Oh, yeah. It makes me go, I can be next. I've seen it. It works. Yeah. Stick to the path. Secondly, when it comes to my comedy, I used to think I was good. And now that I look back, and this is why Practice Makes Perfect, you realize how horrible you were every every year, year before every
0: year you go oh
1: jesus Christ. i don't even remember what i talked about now <laughs> you know like who was i and finding your voice and being true to yourself something that luckily i've had practice my entire life has come to play as a skill set when it comes to comedy yeah that networking has become a skill set when it comes to comedy that ability to make people like you even though i do say crazy things at times has become a skill set. But most importantly, it's finding your own voice and being you and having a perspective that's yours. Yeah. And that has played a part and I feel that as time goes on, I get better and stronger and better at that. And the Tehran you see off the stage is very similar to the Tehran that you see on the stage and Mm -hmm. it gets more and more. I walk around in a bathrobe, I mean that. It's life. I've been doing it since high school. Don't at me. You know, it's going on. So, Hopefully, one day I will be amongst the stars, right? And I might not right now be the captain of the boat, but I'm on the ship. Yeah. You know? And that's somewhere where if you'd asked me a decade ago, I would have never imagined I'd be here.
0: Yeah. And as you said, you know, you talk a lot about your brand and and your perspective. Like, what would you say it is sort of like if you had to pitch yourself to someone say, I want to make the Tehran show, like the reality show back to Kardashians they have the Kardashian brand like what is the Tehran brand that you feel tolerance understanding acceptance okay
1: That's what I'm about. That's bringing people together to show we're all losers. Literally, we're all losers. Yes. All of us. Everyone's a loser. Everyone. The hottest girl you've ever looked at in your life takes nasty shits when she gets diarrhea. Like, every one of us is a loser. Every guy, every MMA fighter has started out as a skinny kid who used to practice beating someone up in the mirror because they got picked on. Every single one. All of us are losers. And so if we come together as losers, maybe we can all be winners.
0: Yeah, and you think that one of the ways of doing that is – because I. I agree with this is that if you make fun of everybody right you're it's sort of a weird form of acceptance it's equality yeah that's equality at its finest but do you feel like there are some things that are still sacred cows that you don't want to touch in terms of comedy like no
1: there are things that i personally will never find funny and so i just probably would never touch those things however i'm not going to be an afraid comic i'm always going to be myself and hopefully i'll never have to apologize
0: yeah as a person, have you ever come close to something like that where you felt like, uh, maybe I, I stepped a line? No,
1: or... I've had a couple jokes that when I started them out, people were offended, and then as you practice makes perfect, I kept the joke.
0: You kept the joke. I did it and now they're it.
1: killers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I knew there was something there. I just had what to. What was a good example? One of, those uh, one of them is my uh, Magic Johnson joke. That oh, was, yeah. I, I got booed for that the first time. Oh, really? I got booed. My my friends were there, and they saw that happen. And then six months later, they saw it, and they were
0: like, "Whoa!"
1: How? And I was like, because it's like a slab of rock and you're creating that sculpture that's inside it yeah, already and
0: you're making it more and more vulnerable exactly. before you hit the hard punch exactly line. Yeah.
1: so it, it becomes one of those things where you really learn comedy makes you learn about people but it makes you learn the most about yourself
0: yeah and what would you say the things you learn most about yourself then the thing that
1: i learned the most about myself because you're pretty you're pretty like you
0: keep your cards close to your chest i man. do you, you're a kind of a mysterious guy, and I, and I like that about you. I like that when I ask you questions, you're like, I'm like, hey, Tron, how'd you get... No, man, you don't need to know. I'm yeah, like, all oh, right, not that's cool, I respect it's just that. It's not important. <laughs> I, I,
1: I've learned that when when the when the chips are stacked against me, I can still come out on top. That's what I've learned. I, I can be unafraid. Yeah. And that's something that comedy teaches you. It is uh, People's biggest fear is just speaking on, on stage, being... Being yourself, these are things that and in comedy we're all those things and more. And so I've learned that I can be unafraid. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I appreciate that about myself. And I've watched and I've actually, you know, you're one of my favorite people. You know this. I've always been a Bill Dawes person. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, because I'm you anyone who knows me knows I am. What you see is what you get. And if I don't like you, you don't have to guess. You won't have to guess if I like you or not. I'm yeah. very upfront and I'm a big person on energy. You actually don't even have to like me for me to like you. There yeah, are yeah, people that, that don't like me that I actually really like. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There are people like that. So... Uh, just watching watching you guys, I studied for a long time. I watched you guys every single night. I used to be at the Laugh Factory.
0: That's right. Because you, you started, you were you were just kind yeah, of started.
1: Yeah, I started out. I just came out, came out. Jamie gave me a shot. I flew back and forth for the first nine and a half months. Then I lived what it takes, man. right here, that's you know, in right. the little building. I lived in the- <laughs> The belly that we're little, in right now. Exactly. Like, I, I've done it all. Yeah. I've lived off $200 a month coming off of being, like, making big money yeah. in D.C. and- not having any of it when I came to LA and l- learning how to live off two hundred and fifty dollars a month and eating that dollar menu from Jack in the Box—that <laughs> really is my life.
0: So yeah. I've learned I can, I can, I can be unafraid. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And I know you got to go do your show yeah, now. Yeah, um to do the show. Is there anything that you want to leave us with? What's a, what's a big plan in the future? You got something like... Big
1: plan is find me on Instagram, social media, all across the board at i a m t e h r a n That's I-A-M-T-E-H-R-A-N. All across the board. And you can find out all
0: about what I'm about. It's yeah. easy. And your show is at The Laugh Factor every, every... Monday and Thursday, 945. Every Monday and Thursday, 945. Yeah. Awesome, man. You have one right now. Have yeah, a good do. show, man. You're the man. All right. Good to see ya. It's the after left, laugh, after laugh. Welcome
1: to the after left, after left, after laugh. <laughs> After laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs>